study published this week in the Journal of Neuroscience suggests that long-term sleep deprivation can cause significant and lasting brain damage, which means that this, our final roundtable discussion of Indiana Lawmakers 2014 session, promises to be very interesting indeed. My four guests, all veteran members of the State House Press Corps, sacrificed more than a little sleep as they covered every legislative twist and turn, and there were plenty, during the just-concluded session. I'm pleased to welcome Ed Feigenbaum, our regular Indiana lawmaker's political analyst and publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight, Leslie Stedman Weidenbenner, executive director of the StatehouseFile.com, a news website produced by Franklin College's Pulliam School of Journalism, Nikki Kelly, State House Bureau Chief for the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette, and Brandon Smith, State House Bureau Chief for Indiana Public Broadcasting. Thank you all. I thought we'd start with something simple like, what's your name? After this session uh, and the sleep deprivation you've undoubtedly gone through, that, that may be a tough question. But uh, this notion of, of craziness, especially in the final hours of a session, every session sort of has its, a rhythm and a pacing. And a lot of things don't happen from 8 to 5. In fact, most good things or interesting things don't happen during business hours. The pacing of this session, how would you characterize it, Ed? Well, based on the, the theme you started us with, John, I'd say neurotic. Um, it never really seemed to, uh, to flow the way that, that some sessions do. I think we, we had some problems with the HDR 3 at the beginning that kind of knocked people off their pace. And then when we this got into... This the same-sex marriage amendment for right. those who uh, haven't committed the bill number to memory. And, and if, if they're watching this show, they ought to know that one pretty this well by now. But then toward the end, it seemed like all of a sudden we were in conference. We didn't seem to have the same kind of run-up that we traditionally have to the, the last uh, couple of weeks, and it wasn't the last few weeks, it was the last few days. So it was a little bit different than it, it seemed than usual. Well, I asked when uh, legislative leaders were here in these same seats last week, I asked them what would be the most memorable thing of this session, or what would, when we look back on it in a year or two, we'd say, oh yeah, 2014, that's the year that, hmm. Well, I think blank. it's definitely the year that the, um, the marriage amendment was, was amended, was changed so that it wouldn't go on the ballot. I, I think if for the near term, that will be the big story of this session. Long term, I really think the tax changes uh, for corporations and for in the personal property tax, as well as the pre-K pilot program that's underway, we'll, we'll look back and see that that was the beginning of what I think will eventually be large statewide programs in both areas. You know, on the HGR 3, you mentioned that that will be what it's remembered for. When Brian Bosma, Speaker of the House, was here last week, he, he chided the media saying that, you know, we can do multiple things. We were doing lots of things that weren't getting attention. Somehow this was a uh, a creation of, of the State House Press Corps that, we've, that consumed. We've gotten that, a big kick out of that because we all feel like we've written um, a lot of stories about a lot of things. There's yeah, we no can, doubt. We can do multiple things too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no doubt that the marriage amendment got a tremendous amount of coverage, but but that and and deservedly so. People were talking about it all over the state. But we wrote a lot about taxes, about hunting, about, uh, you know, health care, about a ton of other issues. I think maybe the only difference would have been with HJR 3, you saw a lot more uh, media folks who aren't normally at the State House. So TV stations from around the state, uh, magazine newspaper reporters who don't normally come to the State House to cover it. I think that was really the only difference because those of us who are there all the time were covering it all, just as much as the other huge issues of the session. And usually, I've, in my uh, recollection of time at the State House, when people say, and who are members of the General Assembly, say, 
the media are spending too much time on something, they're generally uncomfortable with that topic and, and find it to be uh, politically volatile or a potential loser at the ballot box. Was, is that the case? Are, they, are there people running away from, from that issue? I think um, they were running away from it before the session when they didn't want to talk about it. I think they were running away from it during the session. I mean, obviously, the way it was handled in the House by Speaker Bosma created some issues and, 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 and probably, you know, he took a little knock for that by sending it to one committee. It was going to die, so he had to move it. Um, so I'm not surprised at all that he didn't want to talk about it. He hasn't really wanted to talk about it for months. And, and what will be the fallout? I promised in the introduction we'd look not only back at the past two and a half months, but we'd look uh, forward to how some of these things play out. In November, how will that issue play? Uh, I know, uh, I'm sure there are Democrats who will try to capitalize on the issue. Uh, and even longer range, what happens next session? Uh, obviously, this needs to be uh, passed by two independently elected uh, consecutive uh, general assemblies. Back in uh, the first sentence format again. Uh, well, let's, let's back up, and, and I think you'll see an even more immediate impact or lack of an impact in the May primaries. You know, there, there were literally no Republicans who were challenged uh, essentially strictly on the basis of, of votes on HGR 3. Although that filing and deadline was being closely watched. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that as well for the, the, the business tax cuts um, as well. But there aren't going to be any primaries that will be decided on the basis of HGR 3, even though one of the prominent players is being, as we, we like to say inside the State House, primaried. But it's not because of that. In fact, I think the, the challenge was filed before the bill was even assigned to that particular committee. And then you go on to the fall, and I don't think that it's going to have a tremendous impact because, again, there aren't a whole lot of, of truly competitive races, particularly involving Republican incumbents who voted for both the, the HJR 3 that included this, the second sentence and then the, the final version of HJR 3 without the second sentence. So you do move on to next year, and it becomes a, a big issue next year. Legislative leaders. Does it? I mean, are, uh, Absolutely. are you, there undoubtedly and will be individual lawmakers who want to see it become a big issue, either on either side, but I'm guessing leadership may leaders, not want to step into the fray again. Leaders and the governor. The governor has to worry about um, whether that's going to be on the ballot when he's running for re-election in November 2016. He wanted it on the ballot this time so that it, it didn't interfere with, with his race with the presidential race, other statewide races in 2016. He'll have to make a recommendation, I, I would assume, to the leadership, and leadership will have to decide whether it's appropriate given whatever kinds of changes we may see in public sentiment between now and then, and then what the members of the, the respective caucuses tell their leaders, what we see in terms of changes in, in the uh, political alignment of, of the legislature next year as to whether that will come back. Well, and one other wild card, obviously, would be what the courts decide, Absolutely. because you have, I what now, courts... more than a dozen states. Uh, it seems like every you can't pick up a newspaper, turn on a radio or television without saying another federal judge in another state has struck down. And now we state. have lawsuits in Indiana as Five. well. And Five. so uh, I think that there will be court action. Um, in, in, certainly before 2016, I think we're going to see something. And, you know, if you recall, uh, a, a year ago, the legislative leaders postponed action on the marriage amendment pending Supreme Court action. And that could be very well be the way they handle this I kind of see that happening again because the point last year was if we put it on there and then the court ruled against it, we don't have a way to get it off. 
like we would be off putting the yeah off the ballot yeah. so they would be in that same position again next year and again they could wait till 2016 and not lose any time so I, I I'm thinking that might be the way it happens next year and the other reality it seems correct me if I'm wrong uh, one of the arguments for having a constitutional amendment in addition to the law that's already on the books is to blunt or thwart litigation of this sort but you, again you look at federal judges who have already ruled uh, some of these measures unconstitutional and in some cases they were in the state constitutions of those respective states and so. speaker brian bosma at some point during the sessions just started admitting that well the reality is that whatever we do whether we don't pass hjr3 whether we amend it whether we pass it with both sentences it's going to be litigated. There are going to be lawsuits filed. So the reality was this was always going to court. And, and Senator Long, after HGR 3 cleared the Senate, said this is a question that's ultimately going to be decided by the Supreme Court, and, and that's where this is headed. Well, for those keeping track at home about the accuracy of your predictions today, that's the best bet. It's going to be uh, litigated in the courts probably for uh, some time to come. You know, I, I was trying to do a little exercise uh, with my limited uh, sleep-deprived brain trying to look at themes, if there's a way to assess general trends in this session. And, I, and you know, at one point I said, well, privacy could be a theme because you had the drone measure, you know, that we don't want cameras and, and surveillance and, and the uh, agricultural trespassing bill. And I said, but then there are other things on abortion measures and others that run the other direction. Uh, you could say it was an anti-environmental regulation year uh, in terms of the efficiency, energy efficiency program being put on pause. But then you also could see that there were new goals set for municipal waste disposal. And the other one I have is local uh, control. You, you know, you have this notion that we're going to empower locals to make decisions about their uh, funding of using tax dollars. But are they really decisions? I mean, so I basically I'm going to tear this up and say I couldn't find a, a theme. I'll tell it, you what, I, I actually the theme that I think ha has emerged this year, but in recent years, is this idea that there is a there are a group of lawmakers and frankly business leaders and educators who want to take Indiana in what I would call a more progressive um, direction. They want Indiana to be competing um, for young talent, for um, different kinds of businesses, for life sciences, and yet and, and that takes some spending. That's what this pre-K. Uh, issue is all about. That's what mass transit's all about. And there's a lot of spending. The notion of creating a quality of life, not just a business climate where you have low taxes. That's right. But, and, but, but you want to come and But that requires some spending. And, and, and at the same time, those same folks are fighting for a lower tax environment in Indiana. And, and, and that's what Indiana's always been. Indiana has always been a place where people don't want to spend any more than they need to spend. And those two things are going to continue to compete against each other. This year, you saw Indiana... Uh, get into the business of a state-funded pre-K. It's just a pilot program, but there's still going to be expense uh, associated with that. And at the same time, cut the corporate in income tax, um, look at to sort of push local officials down the road of cutting the personal uh, property tax for businesses. And there was a move, you know, just last year, there was a cut in the individual income tax. There's going to be a point at which you can't keep cutting taxes and still push these more these bigger spending items. It, it, it's just not going to work long term. I think I think another big theme that we and this is again that's been sort of steadily going this way is there seems to be more and more pushes for spending during the non-budget year. 
It used to be that the non-budget year was just for emergencies. That's clearly no longer the purpose. It's now they try to do almost as much as they do in the long session, the budget session. But we've seen more and more measures that spend money when they're not supposed to be reopening the budget. And, and Senator Luke Kenley, the Senate Appropriations Chair, has been trying to fend off all of these, these spending efforts. And I think we saw him start to crack a little this year, where he was pushing away several things because they spent money. And by the time we were done with the session, he had caved, if you will, on a few of these things. For instance, pre-K pre 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 uh, would be the big one. He said, right. you know, let's wait till a and budget transportation. year. Transportation. Yeah, transportation. Yeah, transportation $200 million. Dollars. Kind of funding, yeah. So, I mean, what does that, what does that suggest? That there's a fundamental shift uh, to doing this kind of spending? Because I would suggest just as many, the, let's call it the progressive caucus that's worried about lifestyle issues, maybe my read's wrong, but aren't there just as many people who... Uh, Whatever the opposite of that caucus is, the, the yeah, cut the government, cut people. regulation, and everything else That's happens. That's what's, what's interesting is there's some of the same people. Yeah. But you also have, a, have the, the beginnings here of, of the old, well, seeing a different kind of, of return of the old rural-urban divide. And it becomes even more um, important here because what you've got is increased rural influence after the, the last round of, of redistricting because we're seeing the urban areas um, just lose population, particularly to the suburban areas. Now, the suburban areas, the Carmels, the Grangers, the um, New Albany and Jeffersonvilles, the Warwick counties, are starting to gain a little bit more influence of Boyd Township and, and Fort Wayne. And they still haven't kind of really coalesced around certain things, except, I think, as Leslie pointed out, some of these, these quality of life issues but you're still really seeing a, a big gap between what the rural lawmakers want and what the urban lawmakers have traditionally enjoyed and want to continue well, to, it, to fight though, for. Uh, let me ask you, is it more rural versus urban, or is Suburban. it more rural and everybody else versus Indianapolis? And I say that because, Nikki, you're, you cover, uh, your paper uh, is in Fort Wayne, and Fort Wayne seemed to get most of the measures uh, that it wanted, right, in terms of Coliseum uh, expansion, some of the tax structure that would enable funding yeah, of that and some of the other the things. Yeah, they extended the sports zone up it, in it Fort Wayne. It seemed to have a little bit. Now, granted, Indianapolis, uh, well, other counties, but effectively Indianapolis got at least a portion of what it wanted with mass transit. Which is, do you think it's more, we just don't like Indianapolis, us against the world, or is it this, or do you see a real ur rural-urban uh, division here in some of these measures? I don't. I don't see too much rural-urban. I mean, I think there there is Indianapolis and the rest of the state. I, I see that a lot. I mean, you know, like on mass transit and other issues. You see that with that local government reform at the township exactly. level. That's certainly one that uh, always seemed to bring that to a head. Mm -hmm. One thing that's different, though, about Indianapolis that people tend to forget, there, it, there's definitely an anti-Indianapolis sentiment in some ways. The other thing that happens is when uh, the issues that Nikki covers in Fort Wayne, for instance, usually tend to have all their lawmakers together. They're very good at pulling even Democrat, Republicans and Democrats together to all fight for one unified thing. Same in southern Indiana that I used to cover in the New Albany, Jeffersonville area. When they decided that they wanted something, they all came together. In Indianapolis, that just doesn't happen. Everyone can't always agree. I mean, they kind of came together on mass transit, but even the details of mass transit, there was a lot of division about what was going to be happening. And when you can't bring uh, I mean, because let's face it, central Indiana has a lot of lawmakers, but when you can't bring them all together to unite behind one piece of legislation, then, you, then you're not going to get lawmakers from other parts of the state on board. 
And a lot of that is that you mentioned, Brandon, the, the surprising number of fiscal policy issues, uh, more tax credits, I think, from, you know, for adoption. And there's probably a list of four or five that you typically wouldn't see in an off uh, year. And again, some of that, I think, you mentioned the, uh, the issues with uh, Luke Kenley and others who might have not have wanted those things in the past. I mean, I think there is some flavor of rural urban in those uh, issues as well. I guess there is on just about every issue, uh, just as you could say that money, I guess, is at the root of every issue, even those that don't have a fiscal note. But it all comes back to Luke Kenley's idea of if we, if we pass these things now, and, and this is something you talked about, how we're dri trying to drive down taxes while increase spending on some issues. And that's part of his concern because he, I mean, he regularly talks about the lessons we should have been learning from the last recession, uh, where we weren't even in as bad a position as a lot of other states in the country, but we still struggled. And he, he's, he continues to preach caution and caution and caution. And he doesn't like this notion, even, even if there isn't a, a fiscal impact immediately, he doesn't like this notion of passing something that binds our hands when we're trying to write a budget a year later. That, that we're, we're tying up too many things now that are really going to make things difficult when we're trying to prioritize next yeah, year. Yeah, I think if he said if he said it once, he said it 50 times, that, um, that all of these issues, whether it be pre-K or these tax cuts or road funding, need to be weighed against all the other priorities that come up in a budget year. Because it's very easy to think about spending more money in a year when you're not also talking about K-12 spending or higher education spending or all of the Medicaid. other issues, Medicaid, all the other issues that are that that are important. But I agree. I th I think he's losing that battle a little bit. But he's he's also tried to rein in TIF districts and redevelopment commissions because of abuses or perceived abuses that he's seen in in Carmel and Indianapolis, the the bigger urban and suburban areas. But the rural legislators say, no, it's working great in my county or in my community. And we don't want to be, you know, kind of lumped in with all the others here that, that are abusing things, and it's great for our small area. Yeah, you know, we've had a week, of course, now since uh, lawmakers adjourned, signing die. I'm always intrigued by the, the, the week uh, immediately after a session because it reminds me of after a presidential debate, the so-called spin room, where you, you can go and, if you remember the media or anybody else, uh, get spun, uh, hey, we won that debate, you know, we won. And depending on whose placard you're, you're walking up to. And we're seeing that. The that? governor has declared victory. He has the bully pulpit. The Republican caucuses in the, in the two chambers, they said, you know, we can check off all these boxes. Democrats, in the meantime, say that's the best you can uh, do. Something that affects Scott Pilot, uh, his comment. And now we're seeing uh, suggestions that are calls for investigations uh, by the House Speaker about the conduct of uh, Representative Eric Turner of Cicero, who, uh, uh, according to... Democrats who are calling for this investigation used uh, undue influence in a manner that would, would benefit his, uh, his children, two of his children, on a nursing home bill. Is this, just, or is this the natural sort of spin room we're seeing this week, or is there something bigger this, this time in terms of the post-session stakes here? Probably a, a lot of the, the same. You know, it, it seems like after every session you sit around and you think, oh, did that bill really not pass? I thought that that was on rails and... What happened to that the last night of the session? Um, I don't remember that dying, and I could have sworn that that went through. And you always kind of wonder, okay, well, what kind of machinations went into you know, this bill not making it through, whether it was in uh, a deliberate caucus decision or because somebody went off the so-called reservation on that and, and just did something on their own. But in terms or of these recriminations, you don't do you see that as much as a, a, an, a, an attempt, as you're suggesting, to you know, 
let figure out what happened, do a post-mortem on the session, or is this more about posturing for, for November uh, and the elections? I, uh, I was joking with the caucus leaders last week, you know, I know you guys haven't even thought about November, <laughs> but there is, if you look on the calendar, there is a, a date circle there. I mean, is, are we now, is this the official start of the election this week? I oh, guess? there's no doubt about yeah. that. I mean, the, you know, the, the primaries are coming right up in May. Uh, they, have, they get started right away. I mean, as soon as, that's why the short session ends when it does, so there's plenty of time um, to start those elections. But, uh, you know, the thing that strikes me about the post-session um, debates uh, is how much better Mike Pence has gotten at, at this kind of thing. Going into the session, he set his expectations or his his agenda in such a way that guardrails. it was, right it was sort of hard for him to fail in a lot of ways. I mean, because, you know, he wanted to um, eliminate the personal property tax, but he never really put out a plan exactly to do it. And from the get-go, he was okay with any kind of cut. And same with pre- pre-K. He wanted a statewide pre-K for all low-income students. But he was okay from the very beginning with a pilot. And so, you know, at the end, he gets to declare victory on a bunch of things, even though they really weren't exactly what, what he was headed for. I would argue the only real loss he probably would have suffered would have been if they hadn't gotten a pre-K pilot. Yes. Because especially later as the session was was going on and the Senate started to clearly have a real problem Even with Even if it's just sort a study, uh, right. the age-old answer to everything, we'll have a study. Right, and, we'll and that was the Senate. And once that came out, he really, really pushed hard for any sort of pilot, and, and he got it. So I would say that was the only thing that you could argue he really would have lost, and he didn't. No, he was very active. Some would say, you know, very, very active. You could take more active in the last week, maybe, of this uh, session during conference committee than at least visibly and publicly he was the rest of the session with lobbying for the pre-K with his wife, a former teacher, uh, the, the road funding. Did that make a difference, do you think, Nikki? I think it clearly did. I mean, there was a point toward the end of the session where we were in a, a meeting with Speaker Bosma, and his comments about pre-K were virtually, you know, he was just like, yeah, that's, we're just not going to be able to crack that for a pilot. And then, you know, Governor Pence started getting out there, and we're all going to preschools with him and watching him interact with kids. And I think he got a lot of play on that, and I think it it started pushing the buttons with the lawmakers. And then Senator Kinley, ironically, ends up crafting the whole solution to the pilot program, even though he didn't even really like it. Yeah, which is, it was a kind of an, an interesting solution. I mean, he basically said yeah. to, Luke Kinley, or to Mike Pence, if you want to do this, you go find the money. I mean, they didn't give him any money. They basically said, you go out and find the money in the Family and Social Service Administration. You can find it. You can do it. And so it's just an interesting solution. Along but, with private contributions, yes. which he always loves. But, but even so, that, that also points out part of the, the problem that they're facing during the summer and then for next year's budget session, and that the money seems to be declining. Our revenue collections are hurting, although Senator Kimler said he can't quite... Um, put his arms around it because the unemployment rate keeps dropping so precipitously, and it, it seems like that contradicts it's the, it's the, the past, what, six of eight months, we've, uh, the state has seen and, a decline and we're at the lowest in, uh, below uh, revenue. Yeah, it's years, a huge drop in yeah. unemployment. It's a huge so, drop. Yeah. So even when you start talking about trying to fund things from the so-called surplus, you know, that, that can be problematic as well. You know, I, I promised again that we would look forward and not just get stuck looking back. Uh, we have a, a, what promises to be a very interesting session next year. It's a budget session, which inherently makes it interesting. You mentioned, uh, Leslie, that some it may not be HJR 3, mm-hmm. 
a bill known by a, by a different number, perhaps, uh, resolution would, would uh, take a lot of attention, uh, perhaps. And I know you think gaming is going to be, uh, uh, let me just real quick go around and we're I'm down maybe to about a minute. Um, What's you, gaming is, is gaming what? absolutely for the the fiscal and public policy impacts, and then you're going to have a lot of other smaller because the state issues. has become dependent uh, to a large extent absolutely, on the and, and the employment as as well in, in the different communities. Other smaller issues are going to come up. You know, the regulation I think of e-cigarettes will be a big one, and then um, something that that I thought would come up this year that didn't that could be very divisive: common construction wage. Real quick, uh, you, you, I think digital privacy is going to continue to be a huge issue. Thank you. Oh, I mean, I think in the end, the big discussions are all budgetary, how much we fund education, whether we're going to expand vouchers again will probably be another big one. All right, Brandon, what's it going to be a big one next year? I think we'll see some alcohol legislation. And we may all need a drink after that, perhaps. Uh, thank you all. Go get some sleep. Take a nap. Work on that sleep debt. I appreciate it. Again, my guests have been Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of Indiana Legislative Insight, Leslie Stedman Weidenbender, executive editor of thestatehousefile.com, Nikki Kelly, State House Bureau Chief for the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette, and Brandon Smith, Bureau Chief, uh, State House Bureau Chief for Indiana Public Broadcasting.